It's the Swans Blogs Swans Cast, the number one listen to Sydney Swans fans podcast. And here they go again, the dogs. They are peppering away. Douglas free on his own inside 50. Bonson Pelly sees that. Oh, he just can't find a goal, even when it's put on a platter. In this week's episode, we will be reviewing the thrilling seven point round four win against the Western Bulldogs on Saturday afternoon, as well as Florence winning goal and Dunkley's drop mark at the end of the game. We'll wrap up the weekend of football that was and we'll look ahead to round five, previewing the Swans clash against the Adelaide Crows at the SEG. This is your host, Justin Mitchell, and with me in this week's episode is Heather Quinlan, former Sydney Morning Herald journalist. Heather, how are you? Yeah, thanks, Justin. Really great. I'm looking forward to another good show tonight. I really enjoy being on the uh, uh, Swans Blog podcast uh, uh, when I'm invited on. It's um, really excellent to participate and be able to share a few thoughts on my favourite topic, the Sydney Swans. Oh, look, Heather, it is always great to have you on and nothing better than to talk about the Swans. Now, uh, that was a tremendous victory on the weekend. Would you say so yourself? Uh, I don't need to use any more stop and grow on my fingernails because I chewed the nails off uh, at various (laughs) stages during the game, in particular in the last few minutes um, of the match. But look, a really great outcome. I'm glad that the Swans prevailed uh, there because I would have been very disappointed if they hadn't. They did a lot of work, I think, to overcome um, you know the Bulldogs' lead that they had. But I think it'd be fair to say that there were moments, there were times in the second half, in the, sorry, in the first half, where I don't think either the players or the coaches would have been that happy. Um, but let's face it, it is only round four. Oh, it's only round four, and. These are the sort of performances you want to have at the start of the year when you're still really, I guess, the players are learning the game plan, the coaches are still learning the game plan and where the players fit in and whatnot. I, I thought Aaliyah was probably a really good example of that. He's a player who, as a junior, played a lot of football as a rock forward, but as a senior, he's played almost entirely defence. And as John Longmire said in his press conference today, but also on Saturday night, was the fact that he has played a little bit in reserves, but he hasn't played there consistently and he hasn't had like a long stretch of play there. So these kind of performances, round four, you're absolutely right. We just need to keep that in mind. I think there's probably a little bit too much uh, perhaps overreaction. Would you Would you agree with yeah, that, Heather? I, I think so in that, I mean... From what I've seen, for example, on social media, uh, people have been a little bit critical of Aaliyah. And I think that you've got to understand that the man has not played a lot of senior football in the last 12 months. He's still a developing player. It was actually his first game for a year. Well, there you go. First game for a whole year um, in the seniors. He's still a developing player. He hasn't played a lot of forward recently. And, yep, he did look a bit lost at times. And um, you know what? Things can only improve from here because Aaliyah has... a a lot of talent. We just need to see um, more of it come out. And uh, I think probably, you know, there's going to be games where you can't afford to have somebody just, uh, I guess, still learning. They need to be able to just perform on the day. But having said that, 
you know, you've got to balance that with just getting them out there and giving them the minutes on the park. So, um, yeah, I think there's probably been a little bit of overreaction there about him and maybe a couple of other players too. Yeah, I would agree with that. Certainly, if you look back in 2016, his performances in defence, he was excellent, he was bombastic, he ran off the fence, and his intercept marking along with Mills and Rampy was out of this world. He played, I believe, about eight or nine games, and the Fox footy um, panel, especially led by uh, David King, they were saying he was elite. He was basically an elite-level player, despite the fact he hadn't even played 10 games. So I think that's something that, uh, as fans, we need to keep in mind with that He's playing something different. He's still quite, uh, I guess, uh, young and inexperienced as far as football goes. So there's still a lot of development to go there. But uh, Heather, let's get kicking on into Heroes and Villains of the Week. Now, I believe you have a Hero of the Week. Yeah, so my Hero for the Week is going to be a popular one, I think. It was young Ollie Florent. Now, Ollie is uh, a wonderful young player. We've enjoyed watching him debut. And on Saturday night, he really provided... uh, a wonderful, exciting finish to really what ended up being a bit of um, sort of an exciting end to the game. Uh, what he did was, um, I'm assuming everybody saw it, but let's recap. He marked the ball. <laughs> he marked the ball on the wing. He was chased by Tim English. Uh, he decided Florent decided to take off and. Tim English, the Bulldogs' young ruckman, um, I think he's played five games, four or five games, took off after him. Now, uh, English isn't your typical ruckman. He's not a lumbering Queen Mary type. He's actually got a bit of pace. He actually put Florent under quite a lot of pressure. Florent bounced the ball once. Then he decided it really wasn't safe for him to bounce again. So he just steadied and, and took a shot for goal from about 45 metres out, rolled it through, never looked like missing. The crowd... Well, at least the Swans part of the crowd went berserk. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> and it sealed the game, um, for, you know, with a seven-point victory. So theoretically, had he missed that, uh, well, the game was still pro- on. It, the game was still on, and and the Bulldogs had a chance to win. So for him to be able to do that was a wonderful sight. And I, I did note that uh, Dan Hanbury, who's seen a fair few things in his time, was was very excited to. Um, see Florent do that and, and really just, just make his mark in a in a very professional, calm and mature way for a young man. It was fantastic to watch, it really was. And after the match, when he was interviewed by Swans TV, he uh, said that he looked around, he saw him running and he said, oh look, he's a pretty good player and very quick, I just had to throw it on the boot and it luckily rolled through. The, other, the best part about that was he said, um, I carried on a bit like a pork chop. Which uh, I was kind of expecting the double arm, you know, fist pump, the you know the uh, windmill sort of rotating, but it never really happened. But it was fantastic to watch, uh, and it was probably like the best finish to that game that you could possibly have had. And in my opinion, that goal was very Rowan-esque out the back, uh, like the kind of you're looking at like the Richmond game from last year, and also the Adelaide game when Papley got one out the back from Franklin's pass from about half back flank. Yes, very similar. Now, have you got a villain of the week, Heather? Yes, I do have a villain of the week. And look, uh, my villain of the week is, well, it's a collective. Uh, unfortunately, it's the umpires from that game. Now, I don't, I don't know any of these gentlemen personally, and I'm assuming that the umpires this year, given the absence of logos on the back of the shirts that I saw last week, I'm wondering whether some of the uh, umpires are actually sponsored by the Guide Dog Association. <laughs> no longer OPSM. <laughs> yes, yep. indeedy, because the, the Sydney Swans suffered a, how can I put this, a 2016 grand final-esque 
free kick count which read 29 Bulldogs, 16 Swans. Now this was quite a close game as the, um, as the scoring would attest and it's quite mystifying um, to, to, to look at that count, 29-16, so you're looking at you know almost 50% again frees have gone towards the non-winning team. Yeah, yeah. Now I'd be highly surprised if the Umpires Association and that, that whole coaching group um, hadn't gone through those tapes quite, quite carefully um, today and potentially on Sunday as well because um, that, that's a considerable disparity uh, and clearly I don't, there were some frees that were given there that were quite mystifying, um, holding the ball that they weren't yep. and uh, a number, number of other occasions and look, you know, boo umpires, <laughs> I'm sorry, you, didn't, you just didn't need to impose yourselves um, on that game in that, in that fashion. What did you think about that, Justin? I have to agree. Uh, the... I could kind of understand what some people were saying about in the first, I guess the first 30, 40 minutes. And if you jumped on Twitter, you could see the the usual sort of um, Twitter nonsense. And Twitter isn't exactly the best source of information or commentary, let's just put it that way. But a lot of, uh, I guess, neutrals and Bulldog supporters were saying, or at least suggesting that the Swans were getting the rub of the green. And there was probably a couple of dubious free kicks that the Swans got, or at least, you know, they were 50-50, but they went the Swans' way. But after that, it just went all the dogs' way. There was the Lin Jong mark that he just dropped, and he got paid a mark for a ball he just clean dropped, and the umpire didn't call play on. Uh, and as an umpire, I've been in that situation before, and I have called play on in that situation, or at least stopped playing, done a ball up. So that was the wrong thing to do. Then there was a bunch of other incidents where they've not paid a free kick when the players have dropped the ball or they've been caught holding it. Uh, and... Perhaps the most infuriating one was when McLean got caught high, um, when he ducked, basically ducked into it by letting his shoulder and lifting his arm. Yeah. So, yeah, look, um, the umpire performance wasn't great. Um, it's, it's another one of those, you know, free kick bulldogs tags. You know, the hashtag can almost be reinvented or restarted. Yeah, I, look, I, t- I totally agree. But it didn't materially affect the outcome of the game in this situation but it has in the past, yeah. and it may do in the future. And I think I just think the umpires just have to just be vigilant in this area. That's all. And um, enough about the umpires, anyway. <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the actual players. Uh, how about you give us your hero? Yeah, my hero of the week is Old Man McVeigh. So he's, I guess, uh, his first half was a bit, you know, it was okay. He wasn't really um, having much of an influence on the game, but he was doing what he had to do. It really picked up in the fourth quarter when he was involved in everything good that happened in the defense. You still had Rampy intercepting and um, spoiling constantly. But some of the things that McVeigh did in that last quarter was just, he wound back the clock of quite a few years and he showed that he still can do it at the top level and he can do it at a very, very high level of quality. Yeah, I do agree. And it's remarkable in some respects because he is very clearly lost a yard of pace. He's I think he'd be the first person to say he's the slowest man in the team. But he just he's very clever, uh, and he's economical, I suppose, in that he picks his targets and he he just uh, I noticed that he Right there at the end, there was um, uh, the Bulldogs had the ball right on the boundary in the tight in the pocket, and really the player I can't remember who the player was, but he wheeled around as if to try and um, kick it back oh, yep, yep. towards the goals and smothered on the McVay wing. Just found, yep, McVeigh just found a way to get there, smothered it, so it went over the line. And look, everybody, I started breathing in after about twenty seconds and went from purple back to pink again. So, <laughs> so. 
So good on good on you, Mecca. Look, that happened right in front of us on the wing too. So you could imagine that the Swans Bay they all went up in unison and they all celebrated in style. It was it was a fantastic thing to watch. And on his disposal, uh, he did have. Um, I, and I did the uh, recap video, uh, and the one clanger he had was when he picked out, I think, Caleb Daniel. Um, hit him smack, um, smack bang on the chest, and I think um, they got it inside 50 and maybe a goal from that. But that was the only real moment where he had like a missed kick or missed disposal the entire match. I thought he was very solid, very consistent, and very good. Um, now, I do have a villain. And Excellent. Again, it's not just an individual. It is, unfortunately, a team. Oh. Yeah, it is the Brisbane Lions. Mm. Now, in a week where the AFL has given the MTG the grand final hosting rights till the end of times, for at least the next 400 years, for the Brisbane Lions to be my villain is quite significant in my opinion. But they produced one of the worst games of football that I've ever seen from any team ever. They kicked 17 points for an entire match. 17. They were goalless for over two and a half quarters. And... Look, they were dreadful. They were 100% dreadful. After three really, really good competitive weeks, they just served up dross. It was not good to watch. And it was, in the end, their lowest Brisbane... Well, their lowest score for the Brisbane Bears, Brisbane Lions. I don't know about Fitzroy. I'm sure Fitzroy scored lower. But certainly for that club, it was their lowest ever score. Uh, It was also one of the lowest scores at the MCG for nearly a century. And it was one of the lowest scores that Richmond's conceded for almost a century. So it was... It was a record-breaking day for Richmond and Brisbane for all the wrong reasons. I think if I'd gone to that game, I would have been very disappointed, really, really disappointed. But it's surprising when you consider that Brisbane the previous week had pushed Port Adelaide within an inch of its life. So you know that they're capable of more. It's almost like they spent everything they had the week before. Yeah, and they were superb against Port Adelaide. And I, I guess that's a really good point as well, in that maybe they were just maybe mentally, physically spent. But... This is round four out of 23 rounds. They've still got another, mm. what, 17 games to play. So they can't yep. be um, kind of, you know, calling in the cards and saying, I'm out of here and checking out round four. That's just, uh, that's bad. But uh, we'll do a quick round up of the AFL later on. Uh, there's certainly a lot of games that uh, were very one-sided, but we're going to touch on that a bit later on. But mm-hmm. now it's time to talk about our win on the weekend. So the Swans did it in a seven-point thriller over the Western Bulldogs at Etihad Stadium. Now, the Swans, Heather, they hold a very good record at Etihad Stadium. They have won 13 of their last 15 matches. And Western Bulldogs last year were the first team to beat them since St Kilda in 2012. Yeah, that's a, that's a remarkable record, isn't it? It really is. And would you sort of suggest that perhaps uh, Sydney Swans now own Etihad Stadium? I reckon, I reckon they should have their names strung up in lights yep. on one on one of the tiers of the of the stands because yep, they just they just seem to play very very well there and certainly um, I've noticed that Franklin enjoys the um, rarefied air of Etihad Stadium. I think he has produced some pretty good pretty good games there. And look, you'd have to say that you know when the roof is shut. Uh, it, it's it's an excellent environment, yet not affected by uh, any wind or anything like of, that. Yeah, wind, wind, and other elements. I mean, I, I was certainly watching a game on the weekend, um, and I'm thinking now that it was the Hawthorne Melbourne match where it was they had very very strong wind, and I saw one kick for goal that literally boomeranged away from the goal and, and out of bounds on the full. It was totally weird. So I mean, I think I think 
good goal kickers will benefit from playing there and I think they like the speed and the size of the ground. So I'm not quite sure what it is, but um, it'd be nice if the AFL even, you know, sent us, sent us off to play there a bit more often. Yeah, it is a really quick deck, and the Swans have previously said that because it is so quick, it really suits their game style, which is a very fast counter-attacking, get it out the back, attack the wings, and then bring it through the centre, and then attack the pockets. It's... um. From a fan's perspective, I don't think it's the greatest stadium to watch football at. I don't know if you've been to Etihad Stadium before, Heather, have you? No, I haven't. It's on my to-do list, but no, no, I haven't. I, uh, Yeah, I'm interested in your um, perspective on that. Well, it's okay if you're at the ground level because you're close enough to the players, but if you're a little bit higher up, you can get caught out where the uh, stands are because the stands almost hang over the field, so you miss... Um, so if you're up in the clouds looking directly down, you can actually have... Um, part of the ground obscured the other thing is obviously the food isn't really that good and it's also very expensive um but one of the best things about it is the public transport connections but uh look enough on that um eddie had <laughs> certainly suits the swans it serves, um, suits franklin and i think the swans have done very well there in recent times they are certainly uh they are the most winning team at that ground and even more impressive is they win more games at eddie had than they do at the scg uh, which wow. is also a little bit disappointing because <laughs> it's not really uh, in Sydney, despite the fact that Sydney's fortress, alternative fortress anyway. Mm. But probably the best thing that came out of the game was no injuries, Heather. Yeah, no, very, very pleased to see that, which is good because I think I think there's sort of enough going on without that. Um, certainly we've got um, Gary Rowan away from the game on and off um, at the moment and we've got a couple of others with sort of existing uh, long-term injury concerns. So the good thing is, yeah, there were no injuries and particularly when you have a look at the, uh, the Swans opponent coming up this week, Adelaide, who have a wealth of injury yes, problems. Yes, they do. Um, yeah, that's, that was a, a, very, a very, very, very good outcome from the game. It, it really was. And we did have um, Franklin who looked like he sort of jammed up his shoulder in the second quarter and... Um... Oh, I was there at the ground and all the Swan supporters and fans around me who were kind of freaking out a bit and I was certainly a bit worried. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, if he goes injured, that's it. That's our season because we haven't got any other forwards to come in. We literally have no other forwards. But uh, he just went bang after that. He worked his way back into the game despite Easton Wood hanging off him like a glove. Um, and then in the third quarter, he just went bang, bang and tore the game open. What did you think of his game, Heather? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that Easton Wood won the battle in the first half. Um, <clears throat> and I, it was interesting that uh, typically the um, uh, there had been, oh, look, I've forgotten the rookie's name, but there was a, a young Bulldogs player who was touted to play on Franklin. But uh, Aaron Norton. Aaron Norton, that's right. But um, needless to say, he didn't really see a lot of the action. It was basically Easton Wood, who's a very experienced um, and reliable, capable and quite a canny player. So, And he did a very, very good job on, on Franklin. But I just think that Franklin wore him down. He just... Couldn't just, Eastern Wood just couldn't keep up with him really in the Not second yet, half. No. no, and look, Franklin is great at setting, and he's so underrated at the way he sets up goals for other players. And um, yep, I thought he had. I thought I've seen him play better, but I think he was still very, very effective. And and really, he kicked the goal that put the Swans in front in the last quarter, and he really fired up the crowd. And that's one of the. I guess one of the magic things that he can do is that he really inspires his teammates. And, you know, uh, ha you know how do you put a value on that? 
Oh, you can't really. Um, the club certainly has, and I think uh, they've reaped benefits from it. Um, their $10.3 million over nine years is uh, more than paid for itself, um, certainly only, what, five years in. So, mm. yeah, it, he is invaluable to the club and I think to the league itself. Um, and watching him get on top of the Bulldogs' defence in the third quarter and kick those two goals. And he certainly set Heaney up um, right before the siren in the second quarter, about 20 seconds left. Um, he just chiseled it into Heaney, and Heaney kicked that goal, which brought us about 10 points closer. So, yeah. Down at half time, ten points. We're you know we are within striking distance, and then the Swans just went bang at the start of the fourth quarter. They kicked the first four goals. They got out to uh, about fourteen points, and at that point, it was still like they were so accurate in front of goal. It was ten three. Could you believe that we actually kicked ten goals to three behinds? No, I well yes I could from the perspective of the fact there was no wind, but um, no I couldn't. That was great accuracy, just tremendous accuracy. And that's helped, can I just say, by uh, a player of Luke Parker's quality yes. having, the, having, having the opportunity to line up for, for some goals because he is a, is a good kick for goal under any circumstances and at any ground. But to have him taking some marks and getting some sort of some set shots, you can, you can just about you know, set your clock by him really. Oh, he is. He is one of the best set shots, certainly as far as midfielders go in the league. There's absolutely no question about that. He's very highly rated internally and externally. He was, in my opinion, the difference in the first half for the Swans. He was making the play. He was certainly kicking goals. He kicked three goals in the first half, and it really was pretty much like the Parker and Papley um, double team that kept the Swans even close because up until he kicked the goal, they were the only goal kickers. Yes, yes they were. And I was just going to mention, I agree, totally agree with you, Papley was very, very lively in the second half, less so in the second half, but um, he does have that tendency, I've noticed, to sort of uh, come into the game and waft out of the game. Potentially that's something that, you know, he'll he'll work on and improve on. I do think probably that the Bulldogs put a bit more time into him Yeah, um, yeah. in the second half. Uh, whereas he was he was very very dangerous in the first half, and I agree with between he and uh, Parker, they really really kept the forward line alive when it was um, when you know, Franklin was obviously receiving a fair bit of attention from from Eastern Wood. So yeah, that that was great to see. And overall, uh, I, I'm really pleased to see in the um, uh, the points awarded the. Uh, uh, by the by, the coaches for the players that Isaac Heaney received the top votes this week with, with eight, because uh, in my opinion he's been the Swans' sort of best player really over the first four rounds. He's been the most consistent, um, not always you know brilliant or what have you, but in terms of coming up with some really good games, I think he's been uh, yeah quite reliable. And certainly I thought he was um, unlucky to miss out. Uh, on the on the best on ground in the game up against GWS, and I was just pleased to see him being rewarded this week because he's a really really hard worker. He takes a great mark. He tackles with heart. He presents. He kicked a goal, uh, uh, and really he was, you know, pretty dynamic. I think for the Swans. And um, yeah, what what were your thoughts? I loved watching him play. I thought it was one of his best career performances, um, hands down. He was influential pretty much from go to woe. Uh, the first minute to the last second, he was in it. Whenever he had the ball, he did something with it. He was always positive. Uh, he rarely turned it over. Some of the marks he did were spectacular. He took that nice specky. I think it was... Um, that was in the 
first quarter or the third quarter. I can't remember which one it was, but he took a really good mark uh, in the forward, sort of the forward zone, um, and he he was just great throughout. I thought he was important, especially when the game was on the line and it needed to be won. He was there and he was willing to do the hard work to get it. Uh, I was very, very impressed with his performance. Um, and I'm glad the coaches' votes gave him eight in the end, because as far as uh, our votes, I gave him five and gave him a nine rating as well. So he's done pretty well, I think, this season. Uh, he's certainly one of the highest averaged rated players um, that I've done, and the coaches' votes have, I think, reflected that as well. And I think he's going to, at this point in the season, certainly when you're looking at the Bob Skilton medal count, I think he's going to factor quite prominently as well, along with like Sinclair and Franklin. Yep. Totally, totally agree. And just want to reiterate, I know you mentioned him very briefly before, but uh, Dane Rampey had started the season uh, slowly, I think it's fair to say, but yeah, he's, yeah. he appears like he's getting back on track and, and he was you know, quite dynamic um, against the Bulldogs and really did some uh, some excellent things. He was reliable in defence. He didn't give anything away. He took some intercept marks and he started running a little bit, which is I think is only a good sign. And I feel like he's still got his best best performances ahead of him this season, which is really great to see. Yeah, he was terrific, I thought, as well. He was pretty much intercepting everything from the first um, from the first quarter throughout the match. I thought he was critical as well. Um, he spoiled Dixon quite a few times. Although Dixon got the better of him on a few occasions, he still managed to keep with him and, and do a lot of damage on him. Uh, he certainly featured prominently in the votes as well, so he ended up with four coaches' votes, or sorry, three coaches' votes. Uh, and I suspect that that's probably two Longmire and one from... Um, beverage but uh, I thought he was pretty important in that second and third quarter when the Swans are really under pressure and the dogs are really trying to hit the scoreboard but he just sort of stood up he's very resolute and he just rebounded everything very very impressed with his game and he's certainly a lot more improved than what he was at the start of the season yeah, and look just one other observation from me in relation to the Swans from that game and it is a little bit of a negative one but I, but I want to temper it um I did notice that look, one of my favourite emerging players, Nick Newman, really had a bit of a shocker. Yeah, yeah, agreed. He he unfortunately he 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 had a bit of time. He had a game out. out he was dropped basically. Um, he was. And, yeah. And he was he came back in, and unfortunately, a couple of clangers. Um, uh, a couple of occasions when he, his his kicks were errant, and I was cringing and really feeling a bit sorry for him because um he's got so much talent and uh, the ability to really sort of you know make a real market swans. I, I don't know what his personal situation is. Um, I think I'm pretty sure that you know with with anybody and with any player. Um, you can go up and down. He's perhaps lacking some form, which is why he was dropped and then they brought him back again, because yep. uh, presumably because Lewis Melican was injured. Um, I really want to see Nick Newman succeed. I am a little bit disturbed to hear that there are some rumours around his future at the Swans. Uh, so I don't think we need to go into that too much at this stage, other than to say that um, look, he'd look back at the tapes and cringe I think a little bit at a couple of the things that he saw himself do, but you know, Nick, if God forbid you're listening, stick with it, keep trying and keep coming because you know I think people believe in you at the Swans and they really really want you to succeed at the Swans and I just hope he gets another chance and um, you know can come up with some yeah just a just a better game this coming week. 
Yeah, I um, I would certainly agree with that. His first quarter in particular was very poor. Uh, he had one particular clanger, uh, which pretty much just went straight out the other end for a goal. Um, he was beaten quite a few times in the lead. Uh, he didn't really seem to be able to beat his opponent, um, and he was just, in general, quite down on his usual, I guess, higher sort of standards. I wonder if it's more of... Um, Kind of like he's being pushed aside by the the Lloyd, the Jones, and the McVeigh kind of combination because he's there's a little bit too much um, like for like in that sort of area of the field. So he's he's a bit surplus to requirements with Lloyd and McVeigh being in the team at the one time. So I, I guess he's we talked about this last week on the podcast as well that potentially he's being not quite pushed aside or pushed out, but he's being I guess forced out because those other players there are they're not going to be dropped for him. He has to find a way to force his way into the team. He may end up going back to the Neefle for a couple more weeks, and I, I agree with you that he just looks to be short on um, form, certainly in confidence. I, I guess like the rest of the team, they were a bit flat in that first half, and as Florence said after the match. Longmire gave them a pretty big rev up at halftime. They came out and they were breathing fire and they got stuck in. They were physically right. They were right up there. They were hitting in hard and they made sure the dogs knew about it. So they turned a pretty dreadful first half into a pretty good second half. And I thought Newman was a lot better in that second half as well. Yep, totally agree. And good on John Longmire for telling them to fire up because honestly they were, the Swans were quite meek in some of those exchanges in the first half and the Bulldogs yep. were you know, quite motivated and quite on song. So sometimes the only way you can get yourself back into the game is to actually start breathing a bit of fire and having a dig, you know. Um, so, it, it, look, it, it was a really good outcome, the win from that match. Uh, I think most Swans supporters would have been expecting a win Yep. It's obviously never that simple. It's never that simple, and uh, it doesn't take much of a sort of a variation either way um, for you to lose your way in this situation. But I certainly um, was very, very um, buoyed by what I saw over that, uh, in, you know, over the course of that match. And I think that from a confidence perspective, that will really give the Swans uh, a lot um, to go on when they line up against Adelaide uh, on Friday night. I certainly look. I think maybe the margin was reflective of potentially uh, a little bit of, um, I guess maybe arrogance, a little bit of, uh, you know, they've got a lot of players out. They're not, they're not in great form. We can just pretty much rock up and win. So that first half kind of was a bit reflective of that, I think. Um, and on just uh, one more player I wanted to sort of talk about from the Swan side of things um, was Dean Towers. I thought he had one of his best games for the Swans. I thought. Certainly in the third quarter, he was absolutely immense, especially pinch hitting in a ruck. Uh, he was providing a really good lead-up target as well, coming out of defence. And in that fourth quarter, he kicked a crucial goal uh, from a great pass from McVeigh. And then uh, coming out of defence after uh, it was Dunkley who dropped the mark. He was the target, I think. Um, yeah, he was the target who Hanabry chiseled it to. So I thought he has had a pretty good season, and uh, on Saturday afternoon, I thought he was absolutely terrific. Yeah, I agree with you with that. And look, I think we've all been there where we thought, oh, you know, is Dean Towers really going to be at that level where he can keep his spot in the top team each week? We've had those doubts. But look, he's been good this season, and he's been... I think that being able to give him that opportunity to do some pinch hitting in the ruck has actually been a massive benefit for him because he's, the boy's got springs in his heels. He can. Oh, he really does. I mean, let's fa- uh, look, he may not be able to keep up with Nick Nadnui over the course of a match, but, <laughs> yeah. but, 
there's no one few, really who can. But very few. But very few can. But by the same token, he has made a really worthwhile contribution in that area of the ground, and he's just so determined. He uh, will will do anything and try anything. He he's himself a reliable kick for goal, and you just you just don't see him give up. And you know, as somebody who champions a bit of the underdog, I say, go you good thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, um, I've been a bit of a fan of his. Uh, I know people have been very critical of him over the, um, I guess, over the journey. And at times, it was certainly potentially warranted. He wasn't looking like a particularly good footballer on point. But uh, I-, I thought, yeah, his season so far has been really good. He's been a very strong contributor. Now, from that match, uh, from a social perspective, Heather, um, now you know where this is going. I do know where this is going. I feel that I feel that cracks are starting to um, develop yep. in in the um, in the quality of this podcast, Justin. So, certainly, as far as the defence goes. Now, I'm not going to discuss about the uh, about the picture or anything because everyone's seen it. Caption this. So, if you haven't had a I haven't had a go at captioning it. Make sure you caption it. Uh, it's reached so far. Um, I don't know if you would uh, believe this, Heather, but it's hit more than a hundred thousand people. You know what? I do believe that because people love a good bottom joke, don't they? They just really do. <laughs> and you better Some good explain to the you better explain to you better explain to the listeners who may or may not have caught this epic moment. Yeah. What what exactly well, happened to Dean Towers? So um, late in the third quarter, he took a mark on the wing, and then he played on and in front of Lockie Hunter, and Lockie Hunter um, dived after him and grabbed his shorts to tackle him, and instead of tackling him, he pretty much dacked him and dragged him down to the ground, so he had his uh, bare butt all over national TV. And so um, it's a pretty funny sight if you want to have a look. That's also up on the Facebook page as well and on Twitter. So, um, yeah, we've got that all across social media, and it's been a bit of, bit of a laugh so far. <laughs> but, um, look, let's uh, let's continue on and look at the weekend of football that was, Heather. So, uh, the first game that I wanted to uh, talk about was Essendon and Port Adelaide. So, Port Adelaide went into that clash. Um, they had four wins in a row. They were looking like this is going to be win number five. And they were clear ahead at the top of the, top of the table. And no one looked like they were going to beat them. In the end... Essendon went, you know what, let's actually play defence and defence and forwards in the forward line. So they switched hooker to defence, they put Stringer in a forward line, and they actually won the match. And uh, Port Adelaide were dreadful. Yeah, well, look, I didn't have the benefit of watching the whole match. I did see some highlights where I saw uh, Jake Stringer kick some lovely goals, and I did actually wonder why that they'd been, um, well... I don't like to question John Worsfold's decisions too much because he's um, he's a very good coach and I have a lot of respect for him. But uh, I do think that Jake Stringer currently belongs in the forward line, not in the midfield. And certainly by yep. his performance on, on the weekend, you'd have to say that confirms it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he kicked a bag of goals. Uh, Essendon looked much more threatening going forward and they certainly looked a lot better than they did against the Bulldogs last week. Now, another one was the, I believe it was the Friday night match between Adelaide and Collingwood. Heather, did you actually catch this match? Yeah, I watched this one from start to finish. Well, let's just say I did have to actually go to bed about 10 minutes before the end because by that stage, Adelaide um, were so far behind, it was clear they were never going to win that match and and they didn't. I was quite surprised, um, and this is, uh, if we leave aside the conditions, which were wet, yeah, they were pretty bad wet, at times. Wet, wet and terrible, and they were for both teams. Let's leave that aside. Um, I was very surprised to see Adelaide play so poorly um, in front of a home crowd 
ground and on their home deck where they've had a very, very good record. I will acknowledge straight away uh, that neither of the Crouch brothers were playing um, due to injury and this was obviously bad news for them because they were absolutely monstered in the stoppage clearances. Oh, yeah, they were, Monstered yeah. in the stoppage clearances. I think my little notes here say um, 19 to 44 in favour of Collingwood. And really, um, that's something that they wouldn't have experienced for, for a couple of seasons now. And and uh, Rory Sloan, who's you know currently their engine in that regard, was rendered completely ineffective yep. um, from the attentions of among others, Steele Sidebottom, who went crazy and had 40-plus uh, possessions and really was best on ground as far as I was concerned. Yep. And just look, in general, I'd just like to say that um, uh, Collingwood were very impressive and Adelaide was surprisingly poor given that they were an early sort of you know, pre-season kind of flag, flag favourite. And uh, what did you think? I look... Um... I thought Collingwood were superb. They were they were on it from from the first minute. They never let up. They were relentless, and the um, it was a dog dirty night for the Crows. And it got a lot worse when Betts hobbled off the field with a hamstring injury. So, uh, look, I, I love the guy. I think he's a terrific player and a terrific person. Heather, what do you think about him running off? Oh, look, I love love Eddie Betts. He's he's one of the reasons why people you know pay their money and, and turn up um, to watch. And I, I think it was very disappointing to see him go off. I can't see him playing against the Swans this weekend, what with hamstring issue. No. Whether, whether whether it be tightness or an actual t- tiny tear, I just don't think that they'd risk him. And, of course, the other one that um, had a bit of a problem on the night was David McKay with uh, another concussion problem. I think he's had a, yep. couple, a couple in recent times, so I don't think that they'd risk him either. So, really, in concert with sort of both Crouch brothers out, um, it's they've got some injury issues. Yeah, they really do, um, and, and certainly Crouch um, with the Crouch brothers out. There, there were there were questions, I guess, when you're looking back at Port Adelaide, and I get there is kind of like a parallel here where, and also West Coast, where it was like, you know, can they win away from home? You know, the flag track bullies, and then you, the parallel with Adelaide is, if they don't have the Crouch brothers in their midfield, can they actually win games? And so far, the evidence says not really. They can't really compete as much because Sloan just gets tagged out of the match. Too easily, he really he really is too easy to tag. It's kind of like what Hanbury was back in uh, 2012, 2013, when he had to beat the tag. Team started tagging him, and he was just tagged out of nearly every single match. Uh, so, look, Adelaide, I thought were in the end quite poor uh, throughout the match. Brody Grundy dominated, absolutely dominated the match. He ended up with 40 hitouts, 12 clearances, and 33 disposals. 23 of them contested. He was, that was one of the best rocking performances I've seen all year, hands down. Um, and the commentators are saying, oh, Jacobs, et cetera, and so forth. But Jacobs, for all, all money's sake, he got absolutely pantsed in that contest. And um, look, the other other things I want to note is the fact that uh, Sloan and both Walker looked like that might be hampered by some sort of injury or at least down on fitness as well. So it's an interesting one. Yep. Interest, interesting. All right. And... The, look, the, in terms of our um, the matches, the other matches that we we saw this weekend, uh, I did get a quick look at the GWS game against Fremantle, and I just did note that uh, GWS were just a, a, a higher quality team in general than yep. Fremantle. I think Fremantle will be brave this season, and they'll have their their moments and their victories, but I just think that GWS um, just have more quality uh, overall, and. Um, 
Unless you had anything further to add on that one, Justin, I'm wondering what you thought about uh, Hawthorne's really rather substantial victory over Melbourne uh, yesterday, on Sunday. <sighs> Melbourne Melbourne were poor. They were very, very poor. Uh, Melbourne, certainly, um, a lot of pundits have favoured them to make the finals, or at least uh, even the top six. Um, so they've, they've got a lot of backers, got a lot of support. I think they've just shot themselves in the foot with that performance. They were pretty competitive for about the first uh, 40, 45 minutes, and then they just they just went home. They they pretty you could have just put out some cones, and I think that would have been more of a challenge because they kicked one goal after quarter time. Oh, and they were goalless between the second and third quarter. Yeah, it, it was actually um, it was actually quite interesting to watch, just from the perspective of you just it was like Melbourne started very well. And you thought, oh, this is this is sort of, gee, Hawthorne are going to have to respond here, and then they did respond, but then there was no countering response. You had yeah. to, you actually wondered whether the Melbourne players had packed up and gone for a pie early, because really, um, just not, absolutely nothing happened. And uh, I don't think, I don't think that Hawthorne were doing anything special. They were just doing the usual. But yeah. Yeah. But but Melbourne went missing in action, and if I was if I was the coach of the Demons, if I was Simon Goodwin, I'd be really disappointed because he's been championing the cause of those players with good reason. But really, um, it, it was a it was a really poor um, second half in particular from that from that team, and they would be in uh, some sort of recovery mode. I would have thought. Um, this week, trying trying to get ready for next weekend. Yeah, they've got a lot to think about, especially considering the fact that after quarter time they only kicked one goal. So, mm. uh, as bad as as bad as Brisbane were, uh, that's pretty much nearly as bad as Brisbane were. That's how bad uh, Melbourne were. So, look, they've got the fact that they kicked, I think, five goals in the first quarter to think to thank for that. Now, and I find that really disappointing because I don't mind Melbourne. I want them to be successful, uh, and I certainly like watching them when they play because they're a decent football team. But they've been so down for so long. I think that malaise just sets in whenever anything gets against them. The backs up against the wall. The pressure's on. They just sort of fall to pieces. But uh, another game that I wanted to just really quickly touch on was the North Melbourne Carlton game um, over in Hobart at Blundstone Arena. Uh, Carlton had some injury issues before the match with Mark Murphy ruled out when he uh, had a plantar fascia uh, issue. Um, so he's had this injury. It's a recurrence. And they just ruled him out before the match. And then they just served up Dross. Uh, the worst kind of football you can imagine. Uh, you might as well just send out some local under-16s team. And I think that probably would have had more of an impact than Carlton did. Did you by any chance catch any of this match? No, I, I wasn't able to catch any of this match. But look, it, that didn't really come as a major surprise to me the fact that Carlton just rolled out some dross as you put it it was more the fact that it was actually North, I mean and I understand that North Melbourne do play a fair number of their games now obviously down at Blundstone Arena and they've had some significant success but North Melbourne themselves are no great shakes in my no. opinion so the fact that they rolled over Carlton quite so easily was um, a bit of an eye opener and uh, I just I just think that uh, poor old Mark Murphy would have been probably sitting at home having a look at that and um, well pouring a cup of tea and thinking I've got a bit ahead of me because uh, um, yeah it's put a fair bit of pressure I would have thought on on the, the Carlton coach Bolton yeah, and that's something we also talked about last week was whether or not Brendan Bolton should be under pressure. It's his third season at the club, and the previous two seasons, I think they've had seven and five, five or six wins. So they've been reasonably successful as a club, and they've certainly beat Sydney last year in uh, round six in that 
terrible, terrible game. It's just, yeah, I agree. It should should be be looking at Bolton and the questions really need to be asked because the first four games from Colton, except for the first one, which was quite good, have been anywhere from poor to just garbage. So uh, they're, they're free-falling. They're, they are not looking like they're improving at all. Well, in actual fact, they can't fall any further because they're on the bottom of the ladder. Oh, they can certainly fall further than the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they can, dear. I, I don't know how their reputation is at the moment, but uh, look, they are not looking good at all. But anyway, let's move on to the next topic. We are looking at the preview of the Swans and Adelaide match. So as we touched on before, Heather, the Crows have some significant issues with their injury list at the moment. Um, some of their best players are out. But the Swans themselves, they aren't injury-free. Uh, Rowan is no certainty to return. Uh, Reed's out until the bye, at least. Um, and a couple of players will certainly have question marks over them. And we're talking about Aaliyah, um, Newman, and potentially like players like a, a Marsh or a Fox or a Ronke could come into the side as well. Yep, it's going to be uh, interesting to see what happens there. I actually, well, even despite his poor game, I have a feeling that Newman may be retained. Um, I'm wondering what you think about whether Aaliyah will continue to play forward. He was a little bit, you know, um, you know, out of his depth, I suppose, this week. But uh, it would appear that Adelaide do have a fairly tall uh, lineup, and I would think that he would, Aaliyah would probably be retained. Um, Obviously, I wasn't on your your podcast um, last week, but I, you know, if I could just express my extreme disappointment, having sat there, and it happened right in front of us, where Reed pulled up and he clutched at the upper his upper leg and immediately sort of started signalling towards the um, uh, the trainers, and we just absolutely, you know, oh no, put our hands on our heads and said, oh no, because the Swans definitely look better and look look different and better with Reed providing a marking target in their forward line. And I think that oh, unquestionably. I think there's going to be some, some tough times ahead um, without Reed. He, I believe he had surgery today on that um, thigh issue. I think there's a tendon there that needed a bit of uh, mending. He's going to be out for, they're saying, between eight and ten weeks. Uh, and, look, I, I do think that Adelaide are going to be quite embarrassed about what they turned on, uh, so to speak, on Friday night last week, and I think they're going to be a much more determined and committed outfit this week, which yep. which won't help uh, the Swans. And in particular, I'd like to mention the fact that, I know we're talking about the Swans, but let's talk about Taylor Walker, because yeah. he put in a pretty subpar performance uh, against Collingwood, and when I say subpar, I mean actually pretty damn bad. He has been criticised by a number of leading commentators, including people like Gary Lyon, about his leadership, um, and by Jonathan Brown, by his actual captaincy and leadership, having won some awards in recent seasons for for that facet of his game. Well, a lot of players um, always give him or say that he's basically the best captain out there and he, he's always regarded as one of, if not the best captain in the league. I think it's the um, the AFL players team, the one that they selected last year, I think the last what last year or two, Tex Walker's actually been the captain of that team as well. Yeah, 100%. But but what, what has been sort of identified is that in some of the big matches, and I'm thinking about the grand final here, and I'm talking yep. about this match on Friday night, when the chips were down... Tex just wasn't able to bring it 
or show it or deliver it in any way, shape or form. And this is disappointing because, I mean, the man is a charismatic figure and he has prodigious talent. He is a wonderful kick for goal and he's really done a lot for the Adelaide Crows. Um, but now there's, unfortunately, he has a few critics and I think he's got a fair bit to prove. Well, it'll be interesting to see whether he proves it uh, <clears throat> on Friday night. But, uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with that. I watched him on Saturday, um, on Friday, sorry, and he just looked like he wasn't even at the game. He wasn't at the races at all. The Collingwood defence had him well held. Um, it took a pretty significant rev up for him to get um, back into the game, and by then the game was already well and truly lost at that point. Uh, and they just were pretty weak, pretty meek in that last quarter and just sort of rolled aside as Collingwood just ran ran away with the win. Um, yeah, look, he's, he is a very, very good, talented player i've always questioned him as a um, leader because i i to be honest i haven't really seen it but you'd never really see much of what happens inside of a club you see almost all of what happens outside of a club uh and it's going to be another really good battle between him and rampy so um because rampy's always mashed up on him um he's always played reasonably well on him and tex walker rarely gets off the chain against rampy as far as Aaliyah goes, I think he's definitely going, to be, definitely going to be inside. They're going to need that tall presence in the forward line and certainly in defence to swing back again. Um, now, Heather, do you think Rowan might play this week? Um, I think he might. I think he'll be keen to get back and play because he's now missed a couple of games, interstate games, following... Uh, well, I think everybody knows that he and his wife, Amy, were expecting twins. One of those twins suffered from a a, uh, a very serious illness uh, condition called anencephaly. And unfortunately, as a result of that condition, uh, one of his newborn twins has died. Uh, his wife gave birth this week. That was the reason why... Um, Gary Rowan missed the game and there was a, a massive sort of outpouring of support um, for Gary Rowan and his wife in the lead up to the game against the Bulldogs and it was really heartening to see uh, the team uh, and the club really sort of got around him. They all wore armbands. They wore a black armband for the baby who died and they wore a white armband for the baby who was born very healthily. So it, that was in, in itself wonderful to see. I would think that Gary, I don't know him personally, but I suspect uh, that he'll be very keen to get back out and and have a go. It's whether he's in the right headspace and really only the, the coaches and the, the medical staff and the other staff at the club will be able to, to determine that. And as Longmire said... There is no place better to be than than in the AFL community because everyone just comes together um, in a case like this when when someone has loss or you know some extreme sort of distress or something like that. So it has been really good to see that in general, just from the larger AFL community. As for whether he plays or not, part of me says love to see him play. The other part of me says probably doesn't need to play because I think he has something maybe a little bit more important to deal with um, than playing football. But you never know. It could be one of those instances where it becomes a bit of a uh, an emotional release or a mental release for him to be able to do that. They are a terrific young family and it's tragic that they had to go through that. Um, no one ever really wants to go through that, but I wish them all the best. And I and, uh, hope that Gary is and, and Amy, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll make wonderful parents 
wonderful, wonderful parents. They seemed everything that I've seen on social media. They they've just got a bit of a smile on their face and a very, very good attitude. So long may it continue. Absolutely. Now, uh, as far as uh, Sydney and Adelaide go, the uh, record is actually kind of interesting, uh, Heather. Now the Adelaide actually leads the head-to-head at the SEG 11-7, to but the Swans have won the last two at the SEG since 2012. So that's a pretty long stretch of time. This would make it six seasons and only twice have played at the SEG. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And look, I am in no way, while we've sort of been, I guess, negative about the Adelaide's performance last weekend and, and, the, and of course, we're looking at their injury list, which is significant, I'm, would, I'm not, and I'm certain that, the club is not taking uh, Adelaide for granted in any way, shape or form. They've got some quality players there and we expect to see them performing well. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what the weather's going to be that may come into it. Uh, I do like the Swans' chances. I think if they're going to improve that record uh, against Adelaide, then Friday night would be the time to do it because there's no doubt they're a bit weakened. But under no circumstances would they be um, just marking that as a W in the book. Yeah, it's going to be a very dangerous game um, still. As you said earlier, Adelaide, uh, they were very poor um, against Collingwood and they are definitely going to come out of that loss. They're going to want to seek a bit of revenge. They're definitely going to want to step up their performance on against the Swans this week. So this is definitely a danger game. Uh, even with the Crouch Brothers missing, there's still a lot that they have. Um, Douglas, he was down. You'd expect him to return to form. McKay, if he plays, you'd still expect him to you know, return to some level of form. Now, the other thing is that uh, is actually really interesting between a head-to-head is that Sydney have won the last six of the seven matches against Adelaide and four of them, four of those wins have been in South Australia. Now, Franklin averages 3.7 goals at the SEG and he averages 3.2 against Adelaide in the last five years. So that's including like 2013. Well, we're just hoping that Lance Franklin continues to fire up. On Friday yeah, night. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, we definitely need him to fire up because as far as our forward line goes, we're a little bit uh, a little bit short across the board. Uh, so some of the matchups uh, that I've taken note of, um, Heather, is uh, I think Talia is definitely going to get um, Franklin. Um, do you think there's any any other one like maybe Callie or anyone else will pick him up? No, I can't. I can't, I can't see it. I, I think they they want an experienced, talented, wily defender on Franklin, and I think that Talia is the man for the job. Absolutely. Um, as we discussed earlier, Rampy's definitely going to pick up Walker. Um, he's had a pretty good sort of run against him in the past. Um, another one is Grundy on Jenkins. Grundy has had a pretty good season, whereas Jenkins was a bit flat um, against Collingwood on the weekend. Uh, do you think that Jenkins will play full forward or more sort of rock forward? No, I, th- I think I think more full forward. And look, I, I actually think Jenkins has been down. Um, for the start of the season and the, certainly in the matches that I've watched, I, I don't think he's produced his best. Uh, he's he can bring a lot on the day, and I, I. But I think that I think that Reg Grundy, my tip is, will do a very good job on him again. And now another one. Um, I'm not sure if you would agree with this one, but Smith um, takes Tom Lynch. This could go to Mills as well. Yeah. hamstring injury, but I don't think he should be taking anything for granted um, with that matchup that you've just talked about because he's a dangerous player. I like him. Well, they also have Fogarty, who's impressed in the first four games as well, and he's only, um, I think he's 18 years old, and he's a 
big player as well. So they're going to have him in the forward line, and that's going to be either a, a Mills or a Smith kind of role there as well. So another one is, as well, uh, Collingwood tagged out Sloan. So do Sydney do the same thing? Should they tag Sloan out of the game? Uh, actually, you know, if you put somebody maybe like George Hewitt on him, I reckon, I reckon that wouldn't be a bad idea, to be honest. I know that tagging is not, you know, as popular as what it used to be um, back in the good old days, um, but there is still a role for it. And, and I just think that if I were the Swans and I'd been watching that, that game, and I'm sure they watched it very closely, they would have seen Sloan respond very, very poorly to the tag. And I, I think they'd have to pay him some fairly close attention. As to who it is, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, would it be Luke Parker? That would be a bit of a waste for Luke. Um, yep. Maybe more of a defensive player like um, Hewitt. Um, Maybe like a Kieran Jack or, maybe a, or a Hanabry? Yeah, a bit of a yeah, Kieran Jack might put a bit of time into him, um, sort of sacrifice himself um, to, to take out Sloan. I just think that because they're a bit short on on you know genuine legs and um, uh, and creativity in in the in the middle of the ground, they've just got to go go for the jugular really. They do. Another one that came in was their pickup last year, uh, Gibbs. So he's also another uh, midfielder that the Swans have to worry about. And I've taken note of this, and I thought um, that either Heaney could go to Sloan or Gibbs, but I've, I reckon that uh, Heaney will go to Gibbs for this match. What do you think, Heather? Yep, I'd agree with that. I think that's that's a really good match-up. And, um, yeah, I, I'm actually, it's one that's sort of quite intriguing, isn't it? You're sort of looking forward to seeing it already, and it's um, still got a few days to wait. Yes, yes, it's only Monday. It's uh, got a few days ahead yet. Now, um, how do you see this match uh, playing out, um, Heather? Do you see it as a uh, pretty firm Swans victory, or do you think it'll go down to the line again as it did last year? Uh, Look, I think that the Swans can win this, and by a slightly larger margin. I'd like to think they could win this by sort of three... Three to four goals, I think they can win it by, given that Adelaide are under the pump a little bit more this year. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I think um, Swans really should sort of control this game from the outset. My only real concern is the fact that uh, we have a pretty unsettled forward line. Um, if we have Rowan come back, I think that helps a lot because it's going to take a bit of pressure off Aaliyah. But if the Swans can work a bit more with Aaliyah um, over the week and help him develop more into that forward role, I think that's going to be of uh, great benefit to us. Now, Heather, it's time for our good call and bad call from the previous week. So... I had Stephen on the show with me last week, and Stephen's three predictions were he had the Swans by six goals. That was prediction number one. Unfortunately, didn't come through. The second one was Buddy not leading goal kicker at the end of the round. Well, actually, in that match, in that match. That's not bad. Not he good, did kick not three bad. goals. Yeah, it's not good, not bad. He did kick three goals, but he wasn't the only one to kick three goals. So no. he's kind of like equally. Um, this one was Richmond Lions close. That oh. was unfortunately nowhere near it. Epic fail, that one. Epic fail. Now, I did get a couple of predictions right, which I'm happy with. Uh, this one, obviously, um, didn't get it right. Franklin has a picnic with, with six or more goals. Oh, never mind. Never mind that one, no. I had Callum Sinclair with 80-plus fantasy points, AFL, well, AFL ranking points, whatever you want to call them, and he ended up with 90-odd, so that's a big tick. Ding. Excellent. And this one I got wrong, Port Adelaide, Ben Essendon. Nope. Oh, no. Oh, no. Ah, dear. Hard to pick that one, though, because, uh, you know, 
in my tipping, <laughs> I went for Port Adelaide too. So. Yeah. Now, Heather, could you please give us your three predictions for the week ahead? Alrighty, three predictions. Well, my first prediction is, and let's go with an obvious one here, Lance Franklin to kick five or more. Ooh, nice. Mm. Second prediction, Nick Smith to have a day out with Eddie not on the field. No yeah, matter and how are we going to measure this one? <laughs> how are we going to measure this one? Okay, day out. Um, okay, so the he, he's opposing player to not have an influence on the game. So I will leave you to determine how right. you how you to how you measure that. And my third prediction is that uh, Tom Papley bobs up with three goals. Nice, nice. I like that one. I hope that's not too conservative. No, no, certainly not conservative at all. Now, my three predictions are that um, it's, I reckon uh, Parker's going to kick two goals again. So he got three um, against the Bulldogs in round four on Saturday. I think he's going to get another two. I think he's good to keep kicking some goals. Yep, I agree. Now, I'm going to also go, this is um, kind of... I'm not, a, I'm not a betting man, but this is kind of like from the betting sphere. I'm going to go Swans half-time, full-time. So that means that they're going to lead at half-time and full-time. Wow. Okay. That's brave. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, uh, if they keep doing that dreadful start, yeah, yeah, they could, uh, could be down by a few goals at half-time. Mm. Uh, and the other one, uh, I'd really, really like to... Wish Brisbane Lions all the best, but uh, I am not confident about them. But I think that uh, Lions could bounce back. Well, I don't know what you've been taking, what medication you've been taking this week, uh, Justin, <laughs> but I would say keep on taking it if you're going to come up with predictions like that. It's very creative. Yeah, it is. Uh, look, um, in case you guys don't know, I've been actually sick for the last week or so. So, uh, yeah, my brain's a bit frazzled when it comes to this prediction part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. You've got to put yourself out there. Oh, look, um, I finally got one prediction right, so I was happy with that. Got to get one right eventually. Oh, dear. That's great. But, uh, look, Heather, it has been fantastic having you on the show once again. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me, Justin. It's been uh, good fun as usual. And guys, remember, you can always follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can follow us with the tag, The Swans Blog. And for next show, if you want to send us any questions or comments, you can send it to us using the hashtag SwansCast. Until next time, go Swans. Go Swans.